It's coaching time. And hopefully there will also be a, uh, a serious stiff shot of truth with it. I am your host, Joshua Spencer, and this is the Truth in Coaching podcast. You know, a lot of times I like to, to keep this kind of fun and, and joke around and, uh, you know, keep it a little bit on the fitness entertainment, the sports entertainment side of things, because after all, you're listening to a podcast, probably, I mean, maybe while you're working out, but maybe while you're just working or uh, doing some chores in the garage or, you know, maybe chilling on the couch, whatever, enjoying your new, uh, your new sound canceling, noise canceling earbuds that you got for Christmas or something like that. Just testing out the phenomenal sound quality going on here. Um, but there is also a significant portion of trying to bring hard earned lessons to you, right? And that can be business lessons. I've got plenty of those. It could be, uh, workout lessons, got plenty of those. Like that's literally what we do, but there is this undercurrent of everybody who is like trying to get on a workout train or trying to get involved in fitness for any reason other than just fun. You're trying to cause some sort of change to happen, right? You're trying to initiate some sort of healthy routine in your life. And because that's the undercurrent that undergoes everything, like you can't really be successful if you're not able to deal with that you can't just deal with workouts alone in isolation. And one of the biggest reasons why people are not successful is selecting the wrong goals, or maybe we could say having the wrong set of expectations that accompany their goals. So this will serve as part two of what will probably end up being a three-part series. We'll have to confirm that later uh, on selecting the right goals. And let's do just a review of what happened last time. Jump right into it, right not? Why not? So last time we spent most of the time setting up the framework for this. And as part of that, oddly enough, we called it problem framing. So framing the problems of why we don't get what we want when we try to change can maybe help us dig a little bit deeper and figure out how to re-engineer that. Now, one of the fundamental questions is almost on the, uh, the nature of the universe kind of thing, which is, can people change? You know, I believe you can. And if I didn't, this would kind of be a futile discussion. You know, this isn't a, uh, a predestination kind of thing where, hey, you're doomed to be out of shape and overweight your whole life and always be frustrated and never accomplish your goals. Uh, however, as much as I believe that's not the case, you are doomed to repeat history if we fall into the same rut over and over and over. So when we discussed the nature of the problem, you know, it's a quick review. It really is potential versus ability. That's one of the key concepts. You have more potential earlier in life, but you have less ability. The more that you acquire skills and work on uh, intentional improvement, 
the more you have ability, but time has gone on, and either through time spent on that one ability that you were practicing, you know, time spent practicing the piano, is time not spent practicing woodworking, right? Um, so you have less potential in another area. That's very time-driven though, okay? Uh, there are intrinsic factors, X factors, things like grit and heart, and kind of the makeup of the individual. And these things are hard to define. And I'm not so sure that they're necessary to define because everybody has the ability to learn. Some things can be caught and have to be caught. Some things can be taught and maybe have to be taught. This is a little bit more on the teaching side. Maybe through uh, you know the energy in my voice or maybe through just hearing something that you've heard before but in a different way, maybe you can catch something, right? But typically, catching something, getting those imperceptibles, you have to walk through something with somebody and be in proximity to them and that kind of uh, positive attitudes and winner's mindsets get caught. The teaching is to help your intellectual understanding so you can set yourself up for success. If we improve your intellect, you can engage that intellect and orient it in such a way that you can actually catch something, right? It's kind of like uh, baseball. You've got a big fat glove on you and you're out there gonna try to catch a ball, but if you're not facing the right direction, you'll never see the ball that's hit and you'll never know how to make the play. All right, the intellect is you turning around and orienting yourself on the game so that you can catch it. So let this serve as a way to orient you on the game so you can get into the right place at the right time and catch the intangibles that you need to be successful. A key pillar term in this discussion is capacity. And capacity is your ability to do what it takes on a consistent basis. It's the ability to sustain stable physical and mental performance across your responsibilities, your projects, your activities, etc. You know, uh, when I was in my 20s, I, I didn't hate children, right? But if you sat me down with a toddler or with a baby, I had about 15 minutes of capacity for that kid. And now as a dad, I've got so much more capacity for dealing with children, right? How much can you do and can you keep doing it? Part of the nature of the problem, the nature of the world is that stress is pushing in on you and you're leaking good qualities. You're leaking focus. It's just evaporating and the stress can come from things that are good and necessary. They can come from things that are neutral or they can come from things that are definitely external threats that are either uh, maliciously or just kind of, um, uh, what's the word? You know, not caring whether they're preying on you maliciously or not. But, you know, there are things that are threats. You know, the weather is probably not malicious, but maybe somebody that's trying to take advantage of you, maybe through marketing or through a con scheme or through just being a miserable human being, 
like that can be an enemy. So you've got actual threats, you've got neutral things, you've got things that you have to do. Like it's good to work and make food so you can eat, right? Or huh, good to work and make money so you can eat. If you're subsistence farming, I guess you're making food to eat, right? That's fine. Um, but nevertheless, that puts a stress on you. Exercise is a stress. It's a necessary stress. If you're not exposed to that stress, you won't perform. If you don't performing, then you're not changing, right? We need stimulus to interact with things. Um, stress can go too far. Stress can break you down. But apathy can break you down as well. Like some coaches say, you can break down on the couch or you can, you know, break down being involved in too many activities. So how do you find the spot right there in the middle of the bell curve where your performance is optimal <coughs> because your stress has been optimized? So that's the world that we live in. And we talked about the, the child who has all the potential in the world to become an astronaut. But at the moment in time that maybe that dream enters the child's consciousness, the child does not have any actual ability to be an astronaut. This could be a three or a four-year-old kid. It could be a 14-year-old kid that has this dream, right? Both of them similarly lack the ability to do that. It's going to take a lot of study and a lot of preparation. But the way that they go about that and the expectations involved and the timeline dramatically impacts whether that goal gets accomplished or not. And maybe it just stays as a dream. And maybe it's okay for it to be a nice dream and for it to fade away. The problem with our bodies in particular and our sense of self-agency when we're trying to move along and feel good about ourselves and be accomplished and actually be impactful in life is that those intrinsic qualities, if they are not dealt with, that's not an ice dream that can go away and you can be okay. Like you are not going to be okay. Your body may break down. You may die of a heart attack in your fifties. You may not have the strength to get up off the floor in your seventies, right? You may realize that you have spent your life just being selfish and not saving for retirement, not taking care of your family, not being a good neighbor, right? Not bringing any sort of impact or good into the world. And nobody wants to be that and look back on the decades and realize that, hey, the dream of being an astronaut can go, that's okay. Like I found something else and I, I was able to be good with my life um, and I'm healthy and I feel happy about where I'm at. That's, a different level of, of acceptability. Um, I think my actual grammar and syntax kind of wandered there a little bit. So the urgency is probably there for some of you, and it's going to come and go. You know, this is a, probably a good time to have this discussion. We're in January still, right? It's, it's not uncommon or improper to discuss goals in January. You know, I think most people see that the resolution idea, that's kind of been played out. And we know that New Year's resolutions don't work. Nevertheless, it's a good time to have the discussion. So um, 
what's going to happen is, is you're going to experience some sort of desire to change. And the more intense that desire to change is, the more likely you're going to initiate something. Take, for example, wanting to lose some body fat, because that's one of the most common things out there. Uh, so you, you want to lose a little bit of weight, feel better about yourself, feel lighter, be more confident, and be more attractive, right? That's completely a healthy goal. And initially, especially if the desire is strong enough, because you have to overcome your inertia, you're going to respond to this with motivation and some sort of enthusiastic efforts. The initial motivation might be trying to find a program or trying to look for memberships at a gym or finding some sort of uh, app that'll help you walk or run, but you're thinking about exercise, you're thinking about nutrition and diet, and you are like, you're gonna nail it this time, right? You can't go wrong. It's a little bit of the story of uh, counting your chickens before they hatch. And the story is, you know, the, the milkmaid has some pails of milk and she has, uh, you know, take them to the market and she's going to take them to the market and she's going to make such and such money. And then she's going to use the profits from that money to buy some eggs. And then she's going to get the eggs and hatch the chickens. And then the chickens are going to have more eggs and then she's going to hatch more chickens and she'll be able to sell chickens and eggs and milk. Right. And before you know it, she's got her whole future and retirement plan. And in, uh, all of this daydreaming, she trips on a stone and spills the milk and we're back to square zero, right? Um, that's the same thing going on here. Like in your mind, in this initial motivation stage, <coughs> you're enthusiastic about it and you're making connections and you're seeing yourself down the road. Not that that's wrong per se, but with it comes a certain level of expectation. And some point in this initial motivation stage, you're gonna not be able to sustain that current level of activity at the intensity that you need to get what you want. Well, when you're not able to sustain it, somewhere in your mind, you've set up a rule about how you have to work out so many times a week or how your nutrition has to uh, fit this certain set of rules or, you know, or else it's not perfect or else it's dirty food or else you're lazy or you're unmotivated. And so you've broken a rule and your efforts are sidetracked. This is a failure. And so now you get down on yourself and you're dissatisfied with yourself and you can sink into a slump. And that slump lasts who knows how long. And eventually it comes back to the desire to change because you're unsatisfied with where you're at. So this whole thing has come full circle. Now, how long does something like this take? This, by the way, is the hamster wheel of improper goals and guilt. All right. Uh, I would say for most people, this cycle lasts um, all the way to the breaking the rules and realizing that you failed on your initial program. That's one to two weeks, maybe less. That goes by very, very quickly. That last segment there, the failure, depression, dissatisfaction with self, that can last a lot longer because most people are not getting dissatisfied with themselves for a day or two and then immediately taking corrective action. 
Um, but let's, let's go through this a little bit more. So the desire to change. Again, it has to be strong enough to override whatever your program is, to override your inertia, right? There is this intrinsic thing inside of you that's like, I don't want this anymore, I want something else. That is good. That is a good natural impulse. The problem is, is it can be uh, very feelings-based and when those feelings meet reality, you find that you were more happy with your comfort than you were with the journey of maybe a scary change, maybe uncomfortable change, maybe uh, things like schedule and breathing hard and sweating and muscle burning and changing the comfort foods that you're most comfortable with. In any case, you didn't count that cost yet. You're just talking about the desire to change. When you have that initial burst of motivation, what's interesting about this, this particular phase and your enthusiastic efforts, that might not even make it out of your head. Like you might be searching for workout plans. You might ask an AI bot to write you a workout plan. And you know, you'll probably get something that's functional and serviceable. Um, you may peruse gyms online. You might even go so far as to set that membership up or to go on that initial run or to set up that meeting with a trainer that you think is gonna hold you accountable. And there's levels in here, right? Like the level that it doesn't get out of your head, like there's no accountability there at all. It's just between you and yourself. Maybe you talk about it with a, a close friend. Um, maybe you don't, but it either barely gets out of your head or it doesn't get out of your head at all. Maybe you actually signed up for a program. Maybe you had a group. Maybe you went all the way and set up multiple appointments with a trainer. Yes, the increased level of accountability is helpful, but it's still all resting on the wrong foundation because you said that you're gonna do it this time, right? You're gonna lose that weight for good or you're gonna really, really, really get in shape. You have some sort of an end state in mind. This can be fueled by smart goal uh, terminology, if you're still stuck on smart goals, right? Again, sometimes useful, sometimes not. We're still describing the problem because the hamster wheel of improper goals and guilt is like the crux of the problem framing. If we've accepted the world that I've built so far, this is like the mechanic that makes the change fail. Right? So we have to find a way to get out of this. But we're still dissecting it a little bit, right? So desire to change, initial motivation, enthusiastic efforts. Here's a good one. Your enthusiastic efforts, maybe you joined uh, you know, the public gym or um, you know, 24 Fitness or uh, you know, LA Fitness, whatever the popular place is, whatever the big box gym is, Gold's Fitness, whatever, Gold's Gym. And you've gone there and you have your enthusiastic workout and you work out pretty hard and you see other people doing stuff, people that look like they have muscle or look like they're athletic and you start to copy them and before you know it, because you went in without a great plan, you're feeling insecure either about the plan that you have or the not great plan that you didn't have and you start copying other people and before you know it, you've had a extensive workout 
and you are smoked the next day. You know you're supposed to go to the gym the next day. You know you're supposed to do a run or you're supposed to go play some pickup ball or whatever you had in your mind, but you're so sore and you're so tired. And you know what? You worked pretty hard yesterday, so it's okay to take a day off, right? That's not a big deal, right? Um, you've just slid in almost subconsciously right into that inability to sustain activity at your current level of intensity. And really, it's not your fault, right? Like, you're not trained for this. Like, you're not a professional athlete. You're, it's been so long since you've been in school, right? And uh, it's okay if you, you can take it easy on yourself. Well, you've now broken your rule because you were going to be hardcore. You were going to do two-a-days or five-a-weeks or whatever, whatever in your head was the deal. You've now broken it. Never mind that maybe real people with real results don't necessarily train like that. Maybe they've really spent a lot of time building up to it and developing a skill but that's not the point because you're still in your head at this point because you're trying to get past this initial part of change. It's very unlikely that you've developed a sense of community at this point. It's unlikely that you have a deep seated decades long skills, right? Your potential to change is still pretty high, but your ability to change is about as low as it's ever going to get. So you've broken your rule. You've broken your sense of perfection. You don't measure up. You're always going to be stuck. This is just going to happen over and over again. You're a failure. You're overweight. You're out of shape. And, and what's wrong with that? What's wrong with tasty, salty, fatty snacks? What's wrong with sitting around and watching TV and and going to work and just enjoying social activities that involve eating and drinking and you know like that like that's fine that's a part of life right and so you do that for a while but deep down you're still dissatisfied with yourself and at some point maybe you've numbed the pain at this point with potato chips or cheetos or beer or whatever right tv binge watching at some point maybe weeks maybe months maybe years down the road your dissatisfaction with where you're at gets painful enough you have a bad social interaction you get rejected on a date or uh, you, you can't make the inroads you're unhappy your energy isn't good right and it gets painful enough that the desire to change comes up again. And you do it all over again. You do your research, you buy your book, you make your appointment, you get your membership. And it all happens all over again. <laughs> Sometimes this happens many, many times in a row very, very quickly, right? Uh, you know, maybe you go through 12 cycles of this a year, but then eventually that gets painful enough and you get jaded and you think eh, maybe for some people it works but it doesn't work for you and so these cycles start to be slower and slower um, you're stuck my friend you're stuck in that hamster wheel there is a way out 
but it's important to recognize that this is the cycle. Now, I was covering a lot of things there, you know, sociality, exercise, uh, nutrition, and you can apply this to anything, but because how we eat and how we move so directly impacts how our bodies feel and that can directly impact our self-esteem. I think it's one of the, the core three things next to probably good relationships and success at work. It's probably one of those most important things that's gonna help you either feel like a successful person or not. We could graph this, right? Ability on the y-axis, uh, time on the x-axis, and you can imagine somebody doing a hard and intense workout and they go up and bam, hit their ceiling, right? Because they went in and they went hard. And what happens? The crash and burn, right? Crash and burn can manifest in exercise in a few ways. That deep, deep muscle soreness that you're not really used to dealing with and maybe you like it because you feel like you did something and you feel like you accomplished something but all you're doing is making your body stiff, which means you can't move well, which means you can't load it or you can't move intensely enough, which means your next exercise, your next workout is not gonna be effective, okay? And so it takes you time to recover. But because you haven't built a consistent habit of consistently exercising, that recovery time is really working against you because you're not gonna get back on the horse. And that turns into missed training time. So that crash and burn going from high down to low the delta on the time is just missed, missed, missed. Motivation, up, hard training, crash and burn, right? Hit that ceiling, crash and burn, missed training. Multiple cycles a year. So many people do this. What would look better though, is if your genetic potential, you know, draw that square out and the left side of the box, that y-axis is your current ability and that bottom side of the box, the, uh, the x-axis is time, and then right in the middle is your current ability, five, draw a line right across the box, and then at the top, your genetic potential, right at the top. Instead of doing such a hard workout that you hit your ceiling and you come crashing down to earth, what if we worked out at about 80% of your maximum capacity? You would still get stimulus to your body and we would be able then to come back the next day. And you'd be able to begin practicing the art of consistency and making a workout happen after a workout, after a workout, after a workout. Pretty soon, as your consistency rises, your intensity is going to rise and your ceiling of your genetic potential, or rather your ceiling of your current ability, is gonna start approaching that of your genetic potential. And that delta, instead of being mistraining, is actually results. Now you perform better. Now you're consistently burning more calories on maintaining muscle mass. Now you're exercising more intensely and you're feeling good about it. Now your body's starting to change now your self-respect is going up because we changed the paradigm of how we have to imply intensity and at the right time. I'm going to tell you this. 
your intensity needs to be applied at getting you to your workout more than it needs to be applied in your workout. As you develop, you will exercise more intensely, but use the intensity that you have available to get you to your workout every time it's scheduled. When you're a beginner, maybe three times a week is enough. When you're more advanced, you may need multiple sessions a week between seven and 13. It depends, okay? But your limited willpower that can be exhausted needs to be focused on getting you into the environment where the change can happen. Then we set up those environments so that they're fairly clean, fairly discreet, and, uh, and helpful so that you have to deal with fewer distractions. This is the central problem for people that are trying to uh, affect change in their life. It is potential versus ability, but that hamster wheel, the motivation and guilt cycle is where the most dangerous challenges lie. We're gonna investigate two different kinds of goals. One kind of goal is the uh, achievement goal. We've already talked a little bit about achievement goals, which is I want to do this, or I want to do that. The uh, ability to actually achieve something in a short amount of time in a typical smart goal context is going to be limited for most people. There is absolutely a right time and a right place to use an achievement goal. We're going to talk more about that later, but for right now, I'm going to bring an alternative up to you. I've already hinted at it a little bit with exercise consistency, and that is the habit goal. The habit goal should probably make up 70 to 90% of your intentional goals because habit goals are what allow you to live life and live life a little bit more stress-free to enjoy the journey and all the time develop skill upon capacity upon skill upon capacity in a consistent way so that you've developed self-respect and so that when you are ready, when your skills are good enough and your consistency is good enough, we can now launch into an aggressive and successful campaign to get that achievement goal and to put it under your belt. So stay tuned for part three. I think uh, it's gonna be a good time and I really can't wait to teach it to you. All right. That's it. Speech of the week. It's not an emergency. Whether we're talking about hunger or a little bit of physical discomfort in general, we've been conditioned by advertisers and food companies that the moment we feel grumbly in our tummy, we have to reach for the quickest, most immediately available option. That frequently leads to poor decisions like candy or snacks that are only temporarily satisfying. 
We've also been conditioned, because of the amazing level of prosperity, particularly in America, that a little bit of physical discomfort is not good. We run away from cold, we run away from heat. We don't allow our body to do its natural cooling and heating processes. Despite what you've been told by commercials and by your surroundings, a little bit of hunger or a little bit of discomfort is not an emergency. You should follow your hunger cues and absolutely eat when you're truly hungry. But get to be a little bit more in tune with your body. It will function better. It's okay if you're really cold to put on a sweater, but maybe you're harming yourself and harming your metabolism by cranking the heat up. Next time you feel hungry or discomfort, take just a quick little survey of what's going on. Ask what's happening in my mind. How am I feeling emotionally? Who is influencing me right now? Am I really hungry? What does my body actually need? Once you've completed that inventory, you can help yourself out with what your body actually needs. And spoiler alert, sometimes it's a little bit of patience. Sometimes that discomfort is the actual stimulus that it takes to propel you towards success. So it's not an emergency and feel free to work through it.